Hi, friends. Welcome to Unyielding, a podcast for Pathways to Hope Network. Our goal for this podcast is to connect with mothers of children facing the juvenile court system. We want to use this platform to give a voice to the challenges you're facing while you're learning to navigate the sometimes scary and uncertain world we enter when our child has been charged with a crime. For the next 30 or so minutes, we hope that you will feel seen and cared for. We hope that you are reminded of your value and that you leave a little stronger than you arrived. We hope you are reminded that you have sisters out here who silently walk beside you in solidarity. Most importantly though, we hope to honor the always beautiful, often heart-wrenching, unyielding love that a mother has for her child. Hi ladies, this is Angie and I can't believe it, but today we're on the fifth episode of our series, Into the Unknown, where we've been breaking down all the things that you can expect on this journey through the juvenile court system. Remember our purpose in this series has been to address the tension that you may be experiencing. And we do that by giving you information on what to expect through this process. I hope that with each episode, you felt a little more empowered to navigate your family through this journey. Last week, we talked about how having a child who's facing charges can have an impact on our marriage or our relationships. And this week, we're going to shift gears and talk about the tiny group of small people who very easily get lost in the shuffle of this journey, and that is siblings. Martin Luther King has this quote that he said, and man, I always think about this. He said, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. One of the valuable lessons that I learned from having a child in crisis is just how much the flow of our family depends on each of its moving parts. Each person in our family is so interconnected that when one of us sways off course, everyone else feels the pull. So today in our conversation, we'll talk about why I'm so focused on front-loading you with information. We'll discuss three things to consider when talking to your children about the changes that are taking place in your family. And then we'll wrap up the conversation with some suggestions on how to give your children age-appropriate truth regarding what's happening with their brother or sister. Now, I know I say this every time, but I always feel like I have to remind you, and I'm sorry for the redundancy, but it's really important that you know that this podcast... This just represents my own opinions and experiences. I'm not an expert. I'm not a mental health professional. Like you, I'm just a mom who's walked through this journey with my child. And I really believe that it's important to share the things that I've learned along the way and for us all to share the things that we've learned along the way because I truly believe that we're stronger together. Don't forget, at the end of the podcast, I always try to give at least one small, actionable step that you can take today. These are things that I believe will help you feel a little bit more in control of your life and get you on to a path towards hope. So many times we listen to podcasts and we might identify with what they're saying or what we're hearing, but a lot of times we end the episode and we're really not sure 
what that all means and how to do something that can help make a positive impact with that information. So that's why I always try to focus on making sure that I'm leaving you at least with one small actionable step that you can take. All right, now you might remember in episode one, we talked about how the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention had done a report. They did a survey and they collected some data and they found out that in the U.S., in the year 2019, there was 696,000 juvenile arrests. Well, so far I haven't been able to locate any data on how many of those juveniles had siblings at home. But if you look at the data that has been collected, which shows that the average family in the U.S. has 1.93 children, then we can assume with that data and the data from the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention that in just one year, there was over 600,000 siblings who were affected by the arrest or incarceration of a brother or sister in their family. Now, some families, they experience a string of struggles as they watch their loved one unravel before them only to have it come to a head the first time that law enforcement steps in. For them, the very thing they feared would happen finally does. But even when it does and you see it coming, it can't prepare you for the emotions you experience once you actually get there. And for other families, they feel completely blindsided. They never even saw criminal activity on the radar. Their situation is the result of a child's well-kept secret or an impulse decision that went horribly wrong. But one thing's certain, whichever category your family falls in, guys, there's no doubt that your world feels like a card table flipped upside down. And mama, as you scramble to get all those cards picked up, and you're flipping them over, and you're trying your best to put them back in order, there's no way to avoid the fact that you may miss a few in the process. Sometimes during all of the chaos and confusion of trying to figure out what the next right thing to do is, it's really easy to lose connection with the little people in your home. While you struggle to come to terms with having a child facing the juvenile court system, your ability to foresee how the situation might impact your other children could actually be compromised. Trauma temporarily affects our problem-solving skills. So I guess what I'm saying is that cognitively, it may be impossible to be able to think through all the ways this one scenario could impact all of your lives. So that's why I chose this as the fifth topic in our What to Expect series. Now in each episode, I've talked about front-loading you with information, but I've never really talked about why. And so I thought today I would kind of talk to you a little bit about that and why I think that's so important. See, when our family was going through this process, I had a lot of questions. My guess is that you do too. And there were times that I wished there was someone else who had already been through this experience that I could talk to. I knew that I had blind spots because this was brand new to me. And while I knew that I was doing my best, I also worried that I was going to miss something in the process. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I knew I didn't know what I didn't know. As time passed, I learned that as I got further away from the actual events that took place, I was able to see the entire picture more clearly. 
in hindsight, I was able to objectively look back and see what the needs really were during that time and identify what I could have done differently that might have made things easier on all of us. I learned to give myself grace because I know that I did the best I could to get through those years. But the more time I spent thinking about it, the more I felt called to reach out to you and share what I didn't have at the time. Perspective. As a mom of a child in the juvenile justice system, this journey, especially in the beginning stages, it felt like it absorbed every ounce of my emotions and my attention. That's what's so crazy about trauma. It barges into our lives, taking over all of our time and attention. And yet life continues on all around us. We still have other children that wake up every morning with the same routines, sports, school activities, and bedtime schedules. We still have laundry to do and dishes to wash and bills to pay. There are still holidays and birthdays to celebrate. None of that goes away. And we do our best to maintain a level of normalcy for everyone, but everybody in our house is very much aware, no matter how normal we try to act, that things are different. Our kiddos sense when things are off. Their minds never stop engaging in this world around them. In fact, I wasn't surprised to learn that recent studies show that babies are not only tuned in to their mama's emotional state, they actually show physical signs of stress when their moms are under stress. Well, my kids were no exception. They may have been at different stages in development, but they were always quick to notice even small cues that I was feeling stressed. So when I had my fingers pressed up against my temples, or I let out an extra heavy sigh, it never went unnoticed. Even as I did my best to keep life normal for them, it always surprised me how often they would spontaneously ask, Mom, are you okay? My mind would do this mental recap of what had happened to make them ask me that. And then I'd beat myself up for not being better at protecting them. The truth is, there's no hiding this from them. And when we spend our energy trying to convince our littles that everything is perfect, we miss out on the opportunity to share the lesson that life offers us through this trial. So instead of focusing on protecting them from this hardship, I think maybe it's time we shifted our focus to equipping them for it. I mean, is it possible for us to model resiliency and love while we learn together how to deal with shame and grief in a healthy way? Siblings with a brother or sister facing criminal charges know there's something going on. We've already established that. And while they probably haven't been given all the details, it's important that we remember that they're very much a part of this process with us. They're feeling the loss and disruption to their family just as much as we are. And learning to process those feelings is really important to their well-being. Now, every family handles this situation differently, so I think today it's helpful for us to talk about what the delivery of that information could look like. Some parents decide to give their children a full picture play-by-play of what's happening. They leave none of the details out, and they believe that complete honesty is the way to go. Other parents will give limited information. The details they share are usually vague, 
and they don't paint the full picture, but enough for siblings to kind of get an idea of what their family's up against. And still other parents, in an effort to try and protect their children and their innocence, will choose to keep the details to themselves as best they can. Well, whether our kids sort out the details in their own minds, or they pick up on it from our hushed tones, or maybe they simply notice how we never seem to talk about it around anyone outside our family, our younger children can intuitively come to the conclusion that whatever is happening in our family is something shameful. I wish at the time I had thought about shame and what role I was going to allow it to play in our family. But maybe, you know, when you're knee deep in it, it somehow just mixes with who you are and it's harder to figure out where you end and shame begins. If I'm going to be transparent, then I have to admit that when I finally did sit down to talk to my other children, the conversation was completely motivated by fear. In what way? Well, let me give you a little glimpse into what the crazy mind of this mama looks like. Remember episode three when we talked about trauma? Well, my smoke detector was setting off a steady stream of alarms that I could not get away from, girls. My paranoid mind had me believing that everyone at our school and in our community knew my child was in trouble. In the grocery store, I can laugh about it now, but at the time, I dodged other parents I knew from school like it was an Olympic sport. I mean, I'm serious. I was hiding behind shelves and doing a quick spin move to head the other direction every time I saw someone. I was ashamed and I was worried about the judgment that I felt certain others were placing on us. Now, maybe that sounds superficial to some of you. Like, why would you be worried about what others are thinking at a time like this? But I did. And mostly, I think I worried about how their perception would affect my children. Like, I worried if parents would steer their children away from mine because they had somehow now identified one of my kids as a troubled child or somebody who made bad decisions that they didn't want influencing their own children. Would they lose friends? I worried if they would be bullied. I worried if they would be teased or face ridicule. Most people are understanding, and from where I sit today, I can see how that wasn't likely. But at the time, my mind was stuck in the worst-case scenario all the time. I'm really not exaggerating when I say I felt scared of everything. I worried if I could tell my children the truth without the risk of more people finding out. I wondered if my child who was facing charges would be able to go back to a normal life after this. How could I share the truth with their siblings without it changing how they looked at them? How could I talk to my other kids about this in a way that kept them from making the same mistakes? I was worried about downplaying it, but I was also scared that I might make it seem like an insurmountable obstacle. Does any of this ring any bells with anybody else? Do you hear a common theme? Well, looking back on it now, I do. And the common theme is shame and control. My mind was fighting between fear and shame. And my default reaction was telling me that the only way to battle shame and fear was with control. I had to handle this perfectly. 
there was no margin for error. We were already facing enough as a family without me adding more. Do you ever find yourself there? In that space where you feel like if you could just figure out how the pieces to this puzzle fit together, the right combination of words and actions, well, then you could somehow make this all better. Oh, sister, I just can't with the pressure that we put on ourselves. Well, I think we can all agree that shame, fear, and our desire to control are not exactly the most stable foundations to stand on while talking to our children. So what is? I've thought about it, and I think there's three things. For me personally, I think it would be consistency, age-appropriate honesty, and empathy. Before you have any conversations with your children, I think that you should first make sure that you're feeling emotionally stable. That has to be the foundation from which you're starting. And then I would say that you should probably consider three things about each of the children that you're planning to talk to. I think you should consider their age, their personality, and their maturity level. Now, typically any child who's under the age of five really isn't able to understand relational or complex life issues. So for them, you may want to keep it really basic, right? Probably not a ton of details. It may sound something like, Sissy got in trouble today and mommy's feeling sad and worried about her, but everything will be okay. We'll figure this out together because that's what family does, right? But you should be prepared for follow-up questions that they may have, like, what did Sissy do, mommy? And think about how you want to answer those questions. Most experts will say that lying isn't the best option, but they'll also say that full disclosure likely isn't as well. So somewhere in the middle, right? And this is going to be more of a judgment call, I think, than anything. And you just have to do what feels right for you here. You know your child. And I think the main thing is to try and use this moment to create a safe space where your child can talk to you about what they're feeling. They can ask questions. They can get some clarity on what's happening in their family. Because as we said, they're very aware that something is happening. The other thing I would say is don't rush the conversation. So plan it for when you know that you'll have time to talk. Use this as an opportunity to talk about what this means in their world. So will Nana be watching them more while you take care of things? This would be a good time to bring that up. Will their sissy or brother be gone for a while? Like, are they being held in detention and they're not going to be released for some time? Or do they have to go live with somebody else temporarily? This is a good time probably to bring that up as well. And then they may have questions about their brother or sister's safety. So it may be a good time to talk about whether or not their brother or sister is safe and just reassure them in that way. Now, you can also use this time to talk about feelings that they might experience. And that might sound like, hey, buddy, sometimes you might miss your brother and you might feel sad. And other times you might miss him and you might feel angry with him or embarrassed. And that's okay, too. It's okay to feel whatever you feel. And you can always come talk to me because I'm your mama. 
We can play catch outside or build some Legos together while we talk, but I'll always be here to listen to you whenever you feel like talking about how you're feeling, okay? And I think while you're at it, talk about some things that you might be feeling or some feelings that you might be having. And you know what? Sometimes I'll be sad too. And you might see me cry or get angry, but that's okay. I still love your brother very much. And even though I might feel sad or cry sometimes, I'm very strong and I'll be okay. So you don't have to worry about me. All right. For older adolescent children, I would just try to keep it simple. I mean, you as their parent, you're best equipped to decide how much information is enough. For some kids, it may sound like, hey, bud, um, I wanted to talk to you about what's going on with your brother. He made some bad choices, and he's going to have to face some consequences. Or you might decide that you want to go a little deeper with detail and talk about what actually happened. So you might say something like, hey, I know that you probably know there's something going on, and I wanted to talk to you about it. Your brother stole something, and he's going to have to face some consequences because of it. The plus side to that is that when you offer detail, I think you show a real-life cause and effect or an action and a consequence, and they have an opportunity to learn from that. The negative side of that could be that they're just not old enough to handle that information or to process it. So, you know, trust your instinct on it or your intuition. If you have questions or doubts, you can always run it by, you know, your partner or somebody that you trust, a close friend or a family member. But I think there are pros and cons for doing it both ways. But mostly, I think when we're having conversations, we kind of want to focus on five things. And the first would be just to keep it simple. So even if you decide to give some details, you don't need to go into all the ins and outs of what happens next. And I think it's really important to be careful not to use this conversation as your opportunity to get everything that you're feeling about the situation off your chest. Save that conversation for a friend or a family member that you trust or even a support group like we have Pathways Closed Group on Facebook. And that's a great place to just be able to vent how you're feeling with other people who have been there and understand it. And it's a closed group, so it doesn't show up on your Facebook feed. Your friends don't see it. Nobody sees your posts unless they're in that closed group and there are other parents who are in this community. So that's just something to think about or consider The second thing I would say is to follow up by asking if they have any questions. And if they ask you something and you aren't sure how to answer it, don't get flustered because it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not sure. Let me think about that and get back to you. And this just gives you time to think about it. And it also gives you an opportunity to bring up the conversation and talk to them again, which could be something that ends up being even more helpful because you've both had time away to process the first conversation that you had. The third thing I would say is to identify an emotion they're feeling. So in your conversation with them, if you can tell that they're feeling sad or they seem scared, then I think it's really helpful to help them to identify what that feeling is by saying it loud. So 
saying, you seem scared, or it's okay to feel sad if you see them that they're looking sad about something. And what this does is it helps with emotional awareness. And emotional awareness is so beneficial to our overall health, not just now, but even in the future. So being aware of our emotions helps us talk about feelings that we're having more clearly. It helps us to avoid or resolve conflicts better, and it also helps us move past difficult feelings more easily. So when we are feeling something and then we can identify that feeling and what it is, it kind of helps us move past it quicker. And then the fourth thing I would say is speak truth. So use this conversation as an opportunity to speak truth over the situation by saying things like, your brother made a mistake, but he's a good kid and we still love him very much. Or saying something like, I'm sad that your sister's in this situation, but I think she's learning something really important from it. Those opportunities of speaking truth over the situation where we step outside of our emotions and our feelings and our fears, and we're able to just objectively state a truth. I think they're really important, not just for our kids, but for us also. And then the fifth and final thing I would say is to leave it open for more. So end the conversation by making sure that they know that if they have any other questions or if they want to talk to you about it more later, that you'll be there for them. I think the biggest thing that we want to accomplish in these conversations is to normalize the feelings that we're all experiencing because the last thing that we need is more shame. This likely won't be just one conversation that you're going to have with your kids. It's going to be a series of mini conversations. Kids aren't always big talkers. I mean, they don't usually break down complex situations with this desire to work through every detail the same way that some of us adults do. Instead, you're more likely to witness them crying or having an outburst, and then you're going to watch them quickly change gears to laughing and playing, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just, that's how they work. Take the opportunities to love and reassure them as they arrive. And do your best to keep those communication lines open. Sometimes when we see grief and sadness in our kids, it can make us uncomfortable. But we can't regulate how, when, or how long they're going to feel those feelings. And when we ignore it or we minimize it by saying something like, okay, well, we just need to get over it. It prevents us from ever finding emotional peace. We never truly deal with those feelings. So every opportunity that you take to help deal with those feelings ends up being better for you and better for your kids in the long run. So remember to check in with them from time to time and to ask them how they're feeling. And I think like particularly if you see that they're having a bad day or they're acting out of character, that's a good sign that something else is going on, right? So up until this point, when one of our kids is having a meltdown about something or super emotional, it's been really easy to think like, oh, well, he stayed up too late last night. He's tired or maybe he's played too many video games today, you know, and that's just kind of got him wound up. We're able to kind of pinpoint those things. And so this is just another thing that could potentially be triggering that in them. 
and they may not be able to pinpoint where their feelings are coming from, but creating space where you're emotionally available for them. And I know that won't always be the case. And that's okay. I'm not saying feel guilty about that. Because you need to have your time to process through your emotions also. But when you can kind of intentionally set aside some space where you create an environment where you are emotionally available for them, it'll help keep those communication lines open. We can't erase the pain. We can't erase the pain that we're feeling, that our kids are feeling, but we can minimize the trauma that they face by communicating with our words and our actions that we're strong enough to endure the challenges that life brings our way. Because we are. We're strong enough to endure the challenges that life is bringing our way right now. Okay, sister, listen, I know that some of you who are listening today are feeling so overwhelmed. You hear all of this and it just gives you one more thing that you need to be concerned about. Trying to be a mother while repairing yourself mentally and emotionally may be one of the hardest challenges that you ever take on. But please hear me when I say this. Nothing is wasted. The effort it takes to have these tough conversations with your children will open the door to blessings in your family. It forces you to slow down, to step outside yourself, to talk through your feelings, and to examine how this impacts the ones you love most. And the crazy thing is, you might actually find that you walk away from those moments of playing catch or building with Legos feeling better too. See, these are the moments you actually can control. These moments, unlike others, are not decided for you. Instead, you get to create them with intention. You get to decide how you're going to lead your family through this. You get to influence the takeaways that come from this season. Don't underestimate the power in that. So when you make your decision on how to handle those tough conversations, whatever it looks like, Remember to pour on a thick layer of empathy. Empathy for yourself, doing the best you can. Empathy for your partner, whose struggles may look really different than yours. Empathy for your littles and their need for reassurance and understanding when their inner turmoil begins to express itself in behaviors that try your patience. Empathy for your friends and family who haven't lived this experience and may never be able to offer the comfort you're looking for. And empathy for the child who's at the center of it all. So before we move on to this episode's practical tip, let's just do a quick review and talk about some takeaways from this episode. First, it's easy to get wrapped up in all the details of your child's arrest and forget how this may be affecting our other children. Second, whether we talk about it or not with them, our children are very aware of the changes that are taking place in the family dynamic and that the stress of the situation is having an impact on us. And finally, when thinking about the conversations that you're going to have with your children, remember to consider the age, maturity, and personality of each of the children. Consider how much detail is truly necessary and how to normalize feelings that they may be experiencing. So we're at the end of the episode, 
And as you know, I like to end the podcast with one practical suggestion. Hmm. Maybe I should title this segment of the podcast, Things I Wish I Knew, because really that's what it is. It's just advice that I would give myself if life offered do-overs. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you'll relate to it and maybe you won't, but my hope is that it might help you and your family come out of this journey just a little bit stronger. So without further delay, today's tip is about teachable moments. The truth is our kids learn way more from what they witness than from what they're told. And unfortunately, we are human. So that means we're going to have times where we wish we would have handled things differently. Despite our best efforts, we'll have moments when we break down in front of them, where we become irritated over something minor or blow something small way out of proportion. We're going to screw up. And when that happens, friend, I want you to try and remember that those are not moments you beat yourself up. Instead, those are moments where you take a breath, you give yourself grace, and you ask yourself, One question. What now? I screwed up, but what now? How do I get the most value I can from this? Is there a teachable moment here? Because I promise you, there almost always is. The teachable moments usually come later. Do you need a metaphor? Well, I have one for you. The dessert that comes after a crappy meal. And... They actually usually come in conversations, and those conversations usually sound something like, hey, sweetie, mom wants to talk to you about what happened today. Yeah, I got really upset in front of you, and I'm sorry for that. I know it probably worried you, and I just wanted you to know that I'm okay and to see if you're okay. Sometimes when we have really big feelings, they come out. But it's better if we can find a different way to deal with that than just getting angry. And I'm really going to work on that. Do you have something you do when you get angry that helps you? See, we normalize the feeling. We push away the shame. We lean into forgiveness. And we look for the value. And we find the teachable moment. So learn the art of the pivot. The power of grace. And the strength in the question, what now? You can't expect to perfectly handle something that you've never been through before. Every misstep has something to teach us. There's beauty to be found in those ashes, Mama. You just have to look for it. Okay, friends, well, that wraps it up for this week. Thanks so much for listening to Unyielding. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. If you did, could you show some love to this community of mamas by leaving a review and subscribing? You know how lonely this journey can be. And when you leave positive reviews and subscribe, it makes a big difference in helping other struggling moms out there find us. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website. The link will always be in the show notes below, where you can access an ever-growing library of resources, like a list of local and national resources that may be helpful, a page entirely devoted to frequently asked questions, as well as our blogs that cover a variety of topics. 
When you visit the page, remember to subscribe so you're added to our monthly newsletter designed to encourage and educate you throughout this process and beyond. You also receive access to our closed Facebook group community, where we break down this podcast even deeper. Just a reminder, our closed group is a small group of parents just like you that understands what it's like to have a child going through the juvenile justice system. Take advantage of this opportunity to be part of a safe space where families can come together to talk about their struggles, help answer questions, and provide judgment-free encouragement. You can also find our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, where we post five days a week, posts designed to help keep you fighting. Remember, family is like life. It's a fight for territory, and once you stop fighting for what you want, what you don't want will automatically take over. Until next week, friends, remember we are stronger together.